thousands of people met Jesus during his three-year earthly ministry. Most of them had their lives radically changed by their personal encounter with him. Jesus simply had such an effect on people. Whether he healed them of something that they had been plagued by for many years, or forgave them of their sins, or both. Anyway, they encountered Jesus. Their lives were changed, often turned upside down. If we could get all of those people to, to come across the platform today and tell us their story, we'd be here more than today, wouldn't we? Just person after person would tell that story. John the baptizer, often called John the Baptist, was a man called by God even before he was born. God's hand was upon his shoulder throughout his lifetime, and yet John, too, had a personal encounter with Jesus, perhaps more that are not shared in Scripture. Since the two of them were related, John may have been around Jesus on several occasions as they were growing up, but we're going to focus on John's personal encounter at the time of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. But first, I'm going to kind of set up things for the story. Now, I want to remind you, if you've been around here for a while, that we used to do Easter plays. We do a lot of Christmas dinner theaters, but we used to do Easter plays. And one year, I got the part of John the Baptist, and I hope you don't remember that, because it was, it was, it was an awful portrayal, I think, of John the Baptist. I dressed up in camel's hair and, and uh, colored my skin so I looked like I'd been out in the desert for years. I was a, a, I wore this big wig and this big beard. I don't know if you remember that, but it was never to be repeated. And uh, I don't think there are any pictures left of that, at least I hope. I, oh, no. I thought I destroyed them all. But, uh, yeah, uh, what, a, what a time that was getting up here and playing John the Baptizer. Well, this morning, we're going to begin a series of messages on personal encounters with Jesus, and I hope... Uh, you'll get excited about this. We're going to kind of focus mostly on the Gospel of John. Uh, this is even a way for us to kind of go through the Gospel together as we look at uh, 11 different stories, 11 personal encounters that people had with Jesus, uh, even though we'll you know, tap into some of the other Gospels as well to kind of fill in details that we need. John the Baptizer's story is like an introduction to the rest of the stories. John's birth and calling were miraculous. Now, his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were older. They're kind of like Abraham and Sarah, but in more contemporary times with Jesus' life. This was a childless couple in the priestly divisions of Israel. Both of them were descendants of Aaron. They both served the Lord faithfully. They obeyed God completely, and yet they were childless. And, you know, some people, you know, go through life this way, and it's a struggle, and, and they feel like it's something they'd like, but it doesn't happen. And this was their experience, and even though their society had, a, like, a stigma attached to that childlessness, God had other plans. God had better plans. It may have seemed that God had turned a deaf ear to them, but he had not, and he had delayed things, but he had a plan that came in later in their life. And his delay was a matter of divine timing. Only years later could they look back uh, you know, and see God was right. God was good. And that's where we need to live. God knows what he's doing. So their son John was born to them in their old age when Elizabeth was well past childbearing years. Luke tells us that the angel of God named Gabriel appeared to Zechariah when he was burning incense in the temple. 
at Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures this morning. Hope you keep your Bible handy. And uh, if not, you'll be able to see most of them on the scripture if I got them in there, right? And, and uh, you just follow along as we kind of go almost rapid fire through some of these scriptures today because we want to see all the different aspects of John the Baptist's life and story. Here's what it says in Luke 1, verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. This is a common reaction to angels. They're very awesome creatures. And so he's gripped with fear when he sees this angel. But the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth will bear you a son, you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John's birth and calling were miraculous because God had, had reserved for him this very special mission to be the forerunner, the announcer of the Messiah's life and ministry. His mission was to prepare the people of God to meet Jesus, the Savior of the world. John's preaching reflected that. It was fearless. It was compelling. John's ministry followed the example of the pattern of the, the, the Old Testament prophets who were fearless and strong and, and uncompromising, you know, just put it out there. And in fact, he was the last of these prophets of the old way of the first covenant, a covenant based on law. John called everyone to repent before God, to turn from their sins, to turn from their sins and be baptized to receive God's cleansing. And it didn't matter who heard him. Everyone needed to repent. Every one of us still needs to repent and return to God for the cleansing that he alone can give us. So this is a consistent, constant call through the ages, but John specialized in calling the people who had gotten very far from God to come back. The Bible doesn't say anything about John venturing into the cities or the towns like Jerusalem or one of the others. As far as we know, he never went there. Rather, he lived out in the wilderness along the Jordan River and called out to the people to come to him. And come they did. You wonder how this even happened. You just stand out in the wilderness and you start preaching. Who's going to hear you? Well, somebody did. And somebody told somebody else. And as they come to John and they hear this message... Something stirs in their hearts and they tell others. And sometimes so many people came that they're lined up along the shore of the Jordan River waiting for their turn to be baptized by this prophet of God. Luke chapter 3 fills in a lot of details about John's ministry. And it says, the crowds of people came out to him, hear him and were convicted by his message. Follow along, I'm going to start in Luke chapter 3 verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod 
tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. Luke's making very careful to say, this is when this happened. You want to verify this? If you want to look somewhere else, let me just tell you exactly the details. It was during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill may be made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough roadways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. I, I like that. All people, all nations have opportunity to repent and to be cleansed. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, by him you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Imagine that won a lot of friends with him. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This was uh, not like the preaching of today, many places. What should we do then, the people asked. And John answered, anyone who has two works should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Well, don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. You know, for each person, there was an answer to their circumstances of what repentance looked like. And even tax collectors and soldiers were drawn out into the wilderness to hear him. And his message, when they heard it, convicted them also. Very powerful messenger and prophet of God is preaching. Many were wondering, it says, if John were perhaps the Messiah, the deliverer whom had been foretold and promised. And why? Because people had never seen or heard someone whose preaching was so fearless, so compelling. And so they told others, and others were told. And, and so hundreds upon hundreds of people came out to hear and be convicted as well. John's persecution, however, was predictable. Because when you speak like this, somebody's not going to like it. Somebody's not going to be pleased with what you're saying. And so the first persecution came from the religious leaders who questioned his unorthodox ways. They sent people to ask if he might be the Messiah, even though that seemed unlikely. And when the Pharisees and teachers of the law came out to him, this is when he denounced them publicly. You brood of vipers, who warned you? <laughs> Why are you out here? Almost like he's upset. You know, you're just supposed to get what you get. Well, John's persecution went on to the king, King Herod Agrippa. And that persecution came because he openly criticized the king for marrying his brother's wife. Herodias, Herod's new ungodly wife, nursed a deep grudge because he was openly critical of their new marriage. And so she wanted to be rid of him. But even though she tried, Herod was kind of protecting him because he liked some of the things John said. And he thought maybe this was something he, he needed to keep there. And, and, uh, and so you know, he, he protected John to a degree. Eventually, however, Herod put him in his jail, in his dungeon, prison, 
and he died. He was killed as Herod had him executed. Mark 6, we won't go into that. A very gruesome story, one of the most uh, dramatic stories that we have in the Bible. Uh, John is in prison, and Herodias' daughter Salome dances before the king and his dinner guests, and he's so enthralled by her dancing, he's probably also very drunk, that he makes this promise to her. I want to give you whatever you want. Tell me what you want. Up to half of my kingdom, I vow, I will give you. And so she turned to her mother and said, you know, what, what should I ask for? And she said, well, let's take John the Baptist's head as the gift. You know, Let's just have him executed right now. And so she said, I want John the Baptist's head put here on a platter and given to me. And so the king had to send the executioner to the dungeon, and John was executed. That was the end of his life and his ministry. John's doubts are also something we need to acknowledge. They were sincere doubts months before he was killed while he was imprisoned by Herod Agrippa in the dungeon of his palace. John could no longer move freely, could no longer preach the word of the Lord. He had a lot of time to think, a lot of time for doubts to begin entering to his his mind. And he began wondering things like, you know, was I imagining what happened? You know, did that really happen? Did I really see and hear what I saw and heard? Am I only imagining that Jesus is the promised Messiah? Perhaps in prison, he wasn't receiving much word about what Jesus was doing because by now, Jesus' ministry is full-blown and, and many, many people are coming to Christ and, and his message is being spread across the countryside. But John's got doubts. And so he sends some of his disciples to go see Jesus and ask him the question if Jesus really was the Messiah. Now, maybe John had kind of bought into the idea uh, that many people had that Jesus was going to be a political or military leader. And when that didn't happen, then John's left like, was this the right guy? Because he's not doing what I thought he would do, if that's what he had bought into. Things were not perhaps shaping up the way he imagined, and so now he was left with doubts. And maybe that's where we've gone sometimes. Have we misunderstood God's will, maybe? And we question that. So John sent his disciples, and Matthew 11, verse 1, tells about this. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, you want some proof? Just look around. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, Jesus said, sent back to John. The loneliness, the silence of the dungeon had challenged his faith, but God provided an answer, and he had already provided an earlier answer, uh, even when John was there, what John needed to see, so that he would know that the Messiah, when he saw him, I mean, you remember, and we're going to be getting to John chapter 1 now, getting to our text of the gospel of John, in John 1, 32, God had told John what to look for. You will know the one that you are preparing people for, when you see a certain sign, when you will hear the voice from heaven, 
This is what John said, John 1, 32. When John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. That is Jesus. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And some of you may have said in your maybe NIV says this is the chosen one. That's probably not the best translation there, although some of the early manuscripts had that. Most of them have this is the Son of God. Here's one of the clearest confessions we have, and it comes from one of the best informed people ever, John. Here was a man who had some honest doubts, but God answered those doubts. He invited his doubts and answered those doubts as he will ours. So right now, let's go to this personal encounter. John 1.32 has introduced us to the baptism of Jesus when John saw the Spirit and heard the voice of God following the baptism. So let's look at the personal encounter that John and Jesus had. Now, they were probably second cousins. They probably knew each other, but we're not sure. We don't have any specific place in the scriptures that tell us that they ever met before they met here at the Jordan River. But doesn't it seem likely they're both 30 years old? They're not too far apart where they live, we presume. It's very possible, possible they've met each other as children or as teenagers, although that's just educated guesswork. Throughout his childhood, John was kind of sorting out who he was. He knew that he had been set aside. He knew that he was to follow the Nazarite ways, no fermented wine, very humble lifestyle. He's to live in the desert. He's supposed to eat locusts and wild honey and, and have this austere life separated from normal pleasures that most of us enjoy. But there's nothing that tells us up till now that he knows who Jesus is. And he knows that this second cousin, if he has met him, is the Messiah. We know that they're related because Jesus' mother Mary went to spend the first three months of her pregnancy with Elizabeth, her cousin, older cousin. She may have even been there with Zechariah and Elizabeth when their son John was born because it says she stayed with them three more months, which have taken Elizabeth to her nine months. And then it says she went back to Nazareth. Well, did she go back before John was born or right after he was born? We don't know. But even when she arrived at Elizabeth's, uh, the baby, John, in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy as a result of recognizing somehow, miraculously through the Spirit, the arrival of Mary and the child inside of her, Jesus. Interesting. We're not told where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived, but it might have been a village or town not too far away. Perhaps John and Jesus showed up at family gatherings, kind of like our family reunions, maybe on an annual basis. And so they might have known each other quite well. But somehow John says, I didn't know him. Why would he say, I don't know him? Well, let's read from John 1, 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So, you know, immediately he realizes this is the one. This is the one God has sent, the Lamb of God. And then he says, my, I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. 
And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. What John is saying here is explained for us more in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. Be, it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So at this moment of Jesus' baptism, suddenly all the lights come on for John. Now all the answers he's been seeking have been found, and he finally knows who the Messiah is. And lo and behold, it's his cousin. <laughs> and when John said that he didn't know Jesus, I just think he was saying, I didn't know that my cousin was the Messiah. Until the day Jesus appeared at the Jordan. When he saw him, John declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And at that moment, everything that God had planned came full circle in John's mind. It was quite shocking to John when Jesus came to him to be baptized. Jesus came out to John in the wilderness just like everyone else. And yet, certainly not like everyone else. Everyone else needed to. Everyone else needed repentance. Everyone else needed cleansing. But somehow John intuitive, in, intuitively, instinctively knew, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? And Jesus overcame John's objection by saying, we need to do this in order to satisfy God's wishes. Just let it happen. Do what God desires. And so John consented and baptized Jesus. And when he did, God's approval was stamped upon it. Heavens opened, the Spirit of God came down and landed upon Jesus, and a voice declared, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If John wondered at all about whether Jesus came from God or not, his questions had to have been answered that day. Now, this appearance by Jesus was the high point of John's life and ministry. This was why he came, to be the forerunner of the Messiah, to announce the Messiah's arrival. John knew that his ministry was not to promote himself, but the Christ, the Savior of the world, Jesus. And he knew, as he said later, I must continue to decrease in order for Jesus to increase. John's time was ending. His ministry was concluding. But Jesus' ministry as our Savior was just beginning. So what did Jesus think of John? Well, Jesus' commendation of John was unparalleled. I, I don't know anything, anyone that he said more of, better of. Do you remember when John sent his disciples to confirm that Jesus was the Messiah? Right after that, Jesus made some remarkable comments about John and his ministry. Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. 
This is the one about whom it is written, Jesus said. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it, but all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. So Jesus commends John, and yet he says, anyone in the kingdom of God is even greater. More to come, more blessings to come. John was totally genuine, totally legit. He was sincere. He was honest. He was real. There was no pretense about John. You got what you saw. And John was totally devoted. Whether it led to popularity or to death, John was true to God from beginning to end. A strong witness in life and in death. And he was content to let Jesus be exalted in everything. John the Gospel writer brings this out in John 1, 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I want you to capture with me, the role that John had. John's greatest privilege and responsibility was to help people get their hearts right with God. That was why he was there. That's his whole mission. That's his whole purpose. He came preaching a baptism of repentance and spiritual cleansing in Christ alone. And we have that same privilege, don't we? That same responsibility. Everything John did pointed people to Jesus. He said, I am not the Christ. I'm just a voice calling it. I'm announcing the coming of one far greater than me. And I baptize with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to cleanse you beyond what I could ever offer you. And when Jesus appeared at the Jordan, John cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he said, I must decrease, but he must increase. And when John saw Jesus appear... His disciples that had gathered around him, he said, follow, follow that lamb. Follow that lamb of God right there. And we know at least Andrew and Philip did that. From that time on, they followed Jesus, not John. John called people to a personal encounter with Jesus. He prepared the way for the Savior to come and save them. John set the stage for lost people so that they could see Jesus. Maybe in their blindness, maybe you know, in the, the, the trappings of this world where they, they were completely dead to spiritual realities like people are today. 
John's challenge was to wake up and see the one that God is sending into the world, or in our case, the one who God has already sent. John knew he was not the way, but he pointed people to the way. And this is why John had this fire in the belly. (laughs) This is what he lived for. This is what he died for. This is the point and purpose of our lives as well. We are not sent to promote ourselves. We're not sent to promote New Hope Christian Church. We are sent to lift up Jesus, to invite people to personally encounter Jesus. We are sent out to introduce people to Jesus who alone can save them. Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, said, It is the preacher's principal business to cry, Behold the Lamb of God. For this reason, John the Baptist was born and came into the world. His chief errand was to herald the Messiah, the Son of God. And what said of John, we may say of every God-sent minister, or I would add every Christian, he is sent to bear witness to the Christ of God. For this is our goal. This is our mission. And that's why we live. That's why we will die with this same message, this same mission. If you're here today and you have never met Jesus, you have never had a personal encounter with Jesus, I want to introduce you to him. I want you to know he invites you. He has come for you. And maybe it will take a few weeks for you to really meet him and to understand why he came and what he wants to do in your life. So I want to invite you to come with me as we explore the pages of John's gospel, as we read the stories of people who have encountered Jesus. Because Jesus changed their lives forever. And he wants to do the same for you. Maybe even if you already consider yourself a believer. Maybe you're a good churchgoer. Maybe you even wear the name Christian sometimes. But you've never had a personal encounter with Jesus. I want to invite you to have such an encounter. Because as he changed my life, he can change yours can change anyone's life, no matter how far you've gone, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he can change your life if you will enter into this encounter, this conversation, if you will, with Jesus. So I'm going to encourage you as we study together these people of the book of John that you will open your own heart and somewhere along the way, it'll be your turn to encounter Jesus also. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we could spend your word. I pray that you would bless us, uh, that you would not let us go and get too busy, too preoccupied to hear. But we want to see, we want to know Jesus. Maybe we have already been observing him for a long time. Maybe we've sat on the sidelines. Maybe we've heard a lot about him, but have never personally encountered him. I pray that today or in these coming days that each of us will do that. Maybe we've already been living for Jesus and we need to encounter him afresh. See him. Be drawn to him. Experience what he wants us to know and experience. I pray for each person here not to you know, live on the sideline watching, observing, but to move into that place where they can personally encounter you. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing a very simple but meaningful chorus, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus.